It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Holly about spinal adhesive arachnoiditis. According to the ClevelandClinic.org, arachnoiditis is a rare pain disorder caused by inflammation of the arachnoid, one of the membranes that surrounds and protects the nerves of your spinal cord. As arachnoiditis progresses, it can lead to the formation of scar tissue and cause the spinal nerves to stick together and malfunction. This leads to a condition called chronic adhesive arachnoiditis. The arachnoid can become inflamed because of irritation from one of the following sources, complications from surgery or multiple lumbar punctures, direct injury to the spine, chemicals, infection from bacteria or viruses, and chronic compression of spinal nerves. For Holly, this condition has caused severe neuropathy, burning sensation, tremors in her legs, and makes it extremely difficult to function. Standing or walking for long periods of time is extremely difficult, and even sitting or lying down in the same position for too long can cause her symptoms to flare. I'm always interested to cover as many diseases as possible on this podcast and to learn about new diseases from what I think is the best place, which is people who live with these diseases. And Holly does an incredible job introducing us to adhesive arachnoiditis today. One of my big takeaways from this conversation is the fact that adhesive arachnoiditis is often caused by medical intervention. Common procedures like an epidural or a lumbar puncture can cause arachnoiditis. Holly is often in the position to have to educate her doctors about her disease because many of them have never heard of it. But as Holly will tell us, there is a large community of patients online helping each other to find resources or share experiences around this incredibly painful disease. I'm very grateful to Holly to come on the podcast and discuss her disease with us because this is something that everybody needs to know about. If you're getting a lumbar puncture or an epidural or any of the medical interventions that can potentially trigger this condition and your doctor hasn't heard of it, how can they possibly prepare you for the risks? That's why advocacy work like Holly's is so important. So I'm thrilled to have Holly on the show today discussing her disease. She does a fantastic job, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. Before we get into our conversation with Holly today, I have a few thank yous that I have to share. The podcast received a donation this week from Danielle for $25. Danielle, thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast Danielle is not only a previous guest on the podcast, but she is a patron of the show, and she sent in several donations over the years, and it is always so appreciated. Danielle, thank you for your incredible support of the podcast. We also have a brand new Patreon supporter this week. Thank you so much to Isabel Williams for signing up to support the show on Patreon. Isabel is someone I connected with through TikTok. She makes amazing content, and I'm really excited that we have a recording scheduled. And in the meantime, she signed up to support the show on Patreon, which is so hugely appreciated. If you're interested in learning more about how you can support this podcast while earning special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers supporting this show at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. I also have to thank whoever it was that signed up this week for Rare Patient Voice, which is another great way to support this podcast. Through Rare Patient Voice, you can participate in research studies and surveys and get paid an average of $120 per hour for your time. 
If you sign up using our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, you'll be supporting this show while you sign up. So we had a lot of great support from our listeners this week, which I really appreciate. This episode of Major Pain is also supported through a creator grant from the Stimpunks Foundation. You can learn all about this nonprofit that supports the neurodivergent and disabled community at stimpunks.org. I'll remind you, as always, that I am not a medical professional, and nothing we share on this podcast is intended as medical advice. Please do not take any action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fascinating episode with Holly about spinal adhesive arachnoiditis. Holly, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you today. We've been messaging on Instagram back and forth for, I think, at least a month, maybe two months now, getting prepared for today. And we're finally here, finally getting to see your face and talk to you today. I'm real excited to get to know you. Yeah, you too. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Well, let's get to know you a little bit. So, Holly, why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, I'm Holly Sanderson, and um, I live in uh, South Florida. I go by Free Spirit Warrior on uh, social media, and um, I I don't work. Um, I uh, I used to work in the medical fields, and I don't work any longer. So um, I like to uh, do stuff at home, advocating online. I have three children; uh, they're all grown now and out of the house. So it's just me and my husband. He works from home. Um, so I just keep myself busy, um, by just taking care of the house and the best that I can when I can and, uh, getting together with friends and, uh, I have a grandson, he's six. Mm. So I like to hang out with him and getting together with my kids and just, uh, doing fun stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, do you mind if I ask what your medical background was? I was a medical assistant for almost 16 years, Mm. Um, but when I hurt myself on the job, um, I was a certified nursing assistant, and that was within the first two years of being in the medical field. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always so interested when people I talk to on the show have a medical background. I think that it, it really kind of colors your experience going through chronic illness to have some sense of what it's like on the other side of the aisle in the medical system. Cause you know, a lot of us really struggle to, to get what we need from the medical system. So I think it's really interesting to, to have a background like you do and to, to know what, how it works from the other side. And I know, and my initial plans were to go on and, and become a nurse and further, you know, my career. But once I had gotten hurt, um, and became a medical assistant, I really loved just working more directly with the patients. Mm. So I stayed a medical assistant and um, I became a phlebotomist and an x-ray technician and just kind of stayed in that field until I couldn't do it any longer. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like you have quite the medical story and I'm really eager to hear about it. It sounds like it's really impacted your life and changed things for you. And I'm, you know, let, let's get into it. So Holly, what is your major pain? 
my major pain is my low back. Um, I originally hurt my back on the job. Like I said, um, I ruptured discs lifting a patient oh. in my lumbar spine. I had a laminectomy surgery in 2000. Then I had a, um, a fusion surgery in 2001. Um, it was not successful for me. It helped a little bit in the beginning, I should say, but then it wasn't successful for me. I continued working, but I ended up having to have procedures done. Um, and then, um, I, I, um, was working, but I was finding that I was not able to, uh, stand very well. And I wasn't able to bend down and get up. I was having a lot of difficulties. So I ended up going to the doctors and they ran some tests and found out that I have, um, spinal adhesive arachniditis. Wow. And, um, yeah, and that's a very, it's very painful, um, yeah. very painful, progressive, uh, disease, non-curable disease. Yeah, this is a disease I've never heard of and something, part of the reason I was really excited to talk to you today. I'm always looking to learn about diseases we haven't covered on the show. So let's back up. You have this initial injury, lifting a patient. And in that Correct. period, what was your symptom picture like? I was having a lot of trouble walking. Um, I was having a lot of uh, shooting pain down both of my legs. Um, I was having sciatica pain. Um, and I was having a lot of numbness in my toes. And um, I really did a number on myself. Mm. When I I was very tiny, and the patient that I lifted behind um, in her wheelchair, I did have a lift assist in front of me. And then, um, so we count to three, and then we each lift at the same time. And she was really heavy for me. And as I lifted her, I felt pops in my, in my lumbar spine. Wow. And that's when I knew that I had did something. Yeah. And then what's the process like to find out what the damage was? Do you have some imaging done? Yeah, right away they sent me, well, they actually sent me to a chiropractor first, mm. which was a little strange, but they sent me to a chiropractor. He did imaging. They told me that the, I sprained my back, but I did not. I uh, then went to the ambulatory center and that's when they told me that I had ruptured discs in my lumbar spine. Wow. And they were full ruptures. So, um you know, when you fully rupture, it's pretty much you're going to have to have some kind of a surgical procedure. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. It was, it wasn't good. And I was young. I was 19 years old. You were 19. Wow. So you're just yeah. starting out your career and then this one thing happens and it completely changes your life. Yes. That happened August 3rd, 1996. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So then you go through the process of having some surgeries done. They eventually do fuse. And is that like fusing the vertebrae together to kind of try to create stability? Yes. And then, you know, after the surgery, it's, it's a recovery. You do have to learn to, you know, move your spine, walk again. 
Um, you know, they keep you a little bit. Nowadays, I hear that they kind of get you in and out of the hospital right away. Hmm. Back then, I was in the hospital for a few days. You know, you do PT right away. They teach you how to walk up and down the stairs. Um, you know, I remember it. It was it was painful. If I can remember correctly, I was out of work for at least a month or so, maybe a little bit longer, maybe six weeks. And then um, I got myself back to work and I did okay for a little while, but I worked on my feet and after time was just not doing well. I was on my feet. I was up and down and I was starting to have a hard time being on my feet all day long. And I noticed when I was going up and down, my thighs were not being able to push me back up. Mm. And I never had issues with that. That's when I went to see the doctor and he did some tests on me. And that's when I was diagnosed with arachnoiditis. Okay. Yeah. So tell me, Tell me about this disease. I, I know nothing about it. Uh, what type of doctor? Um, was this a specialist? Was this a primary care who diagnosed you? It was a pain doctor. Mm. Actually, the, the doctor that I worked for sent me to this doctor. He's a pain specialist local to where I am. And um, he right away diagnosed me with this. And I have been treating for 15 years with him. Wow. Tell me about this disease. Tell me the name again. Tell me what is it? How does it work? Okay. So it's called adhesive arachnoiditis. Adhesive arachnoiditis. Yes. A lot of people say it sounds like a spider. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> However, it happens somewhere where where I was punctured in through my arachnoid space, which is in your spinal column, some doctor had punctured through into the dura space in your spinal column. We have our free flowing nerves in our spinal cord. Once those are punctured, it clumps those nerves together. And once those are clumped together, it causes major pain. Wow. And that's that's what happens. So the nerves clump clumping together is sort of the adhesive part of adhesive Correct. arachnoiditis yes. because it's in the arachnoid exactly. space. Yep. Uh, do you assume that that happened during one of your surgeries that that space was punctured? It could have happened during a labor epidural. Mm, when you had kids. Yeah. Yeah. It could have happened during my surgeries. Yeah. Also, a myelogram. I've had myelograms done. What's a myelogram? A myelogram is a type of test where they kind of reproduce the pain to find out where the pain is coming from in your discs. Oh, I've so never it's heard a of test that either. That they do. That sounds yeah. horrible. <laughs> yeah, it is not pleasant at all. We in our community advise against that. We also have advised against getting epidurals. Unless you're having a guided epidural, it's a blind shot into your back. You don't want to have anything blind put into your back. No needles put into your back blind. Mm. 
because this is a risk factor that people just haven't heard about. Right. You know, you want to, you want everything to be guided in x-rays where you can see where they're putting everything. Mm. Yeah. Cause it's can cause this. Yeah. So there's no way to know exactly when the arachnoid region was punctured, but it's safe to assume that it was during a medical procedure. This is not, you know, this is not something where you just got a random needle in the back jogging down the road or something. This had had to have happened during a medical procedure. And it was not related at all to your initial injury, like potentially from the surgeries subsequent to the injury. But this is not like something you're born with where it made you more susceptible to that initial injury. It's not like that at all. This is something that was triggered by a medical procedure after some point after you were 19. It's impossible to know when. Correct. Wow. Correct. And, you know, you can't go out after anybody either. That's a big thing. You know, there's no, no malpractice. You can't go after anybody. Yeah. And is it possible that, you know, if you were a different person or like in another universe, you could have had a needle go into the arachnoid space and not developed this disease? Is this sort of like a, a potentiality, but not, you know, necessarily it's going to happen? That's a really good question. Um, I don't really know how to answer that question. I Maybe there's people that have had, you know, it go in and this hasn't developed, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this is so frustrating because there's so many unknowns. Yeah. So it was a rare thing. It yeah. was uh, arachniditis. When I first found out 16 years ago that I had it, it's, it's just about been 16 years. Um, it was rare. When I started researching it and stuff online, it was very rare. Now, there's a humongous community. Hmm. Um, I work with um, a bunch of advocates that are out there who are trying to make it known and get the doc- get doctors known because you know, you'll go to a many, many doctors out there and they do not know what this is. I work with an amazing group. Um, they're called acmcrn.org and they are incredible and they really do um, put out a lot of information and I love working with them. They uh, are a great group and Dr. Tennant out and I know I'm doing the plugs now, I guess, but (laughs) Dr. Dr. Tennant out in California, he's like our huge advocate. Mm. Um, He's a doctor that um, has been working for uh, our community and has done lots of research for arachniditis. Wow. So we all love him. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Yeah. So you mentioned that this disease is progressive. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, it's very progressive. Um, you know, there's it's um, an intractable pain disease. And for me, for instance, I have been getting worse with it over the years. Every year I seem to be getting worse with it. I, I over the last five years, find myself, I can't even walk in, uh, for instance, uh, a Disney park anymore, or the grocery store for too long, I have to be in a wheelchair. Yeah, It's just, yeah, it's just, it is what it is. 
Yeah. You know, I've been to Disneyland in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. now that I have a diagnosis, I'm doing better and walking more, but I still don't think I could do Disneyland. That's a, that's a lot of walking. It is a lot of walking. And I remember just five years ago, I could do it and I could mm. do the next day. And if I do it one day, I'll never make it out of bed the next day. It's just. Yeah. Are you familiar with the, uh, this is a tangent, but are you familiar with the disability access service at Disney Disneyland, the DAS pass? I am. Okay, good. Yeah. For people who aren't familiar, you can call ahead when you're going to Disneyland. And if you have any sort of uh, disability where you are going to have an access need, where you're not going to be able to stand in line, are you going to be in a wheelchair? Are you going to need to go through separate entrances for the wheelchair access, anything like that? You can call ahead and get a disability access service pass, uh, DAS pass, uh, and it gives you different access to the rides. And I did that last time I was there. It was so helpful. I, don't, I would not have been able to navigate the park without it. And you can have up to six people uh, on one pass so you can bring Isn't your, your party with you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I have people with me that did not need that service, but they were able to go on the rides with me so I can still have the full experience. And I hadn't yes. been to Disneyland in years. Like, I grew up in Southern California going every summer. And I hadn't, um, I, since I've moved to Seattle, I haven't been in a really long time. Um, uh, partially, in, in large part, because my body couldn't handle it. Um, but then I started it. using a wheelchair and that opened up some possibilities. And I was just scooting all over the park in that wheelchair. I had a great time. Uh, oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. I, I don't think a lot of the people do know. Yeah. And I try to tell as many people too. It's so fun. And and I, t I just took my whole family and um, my grandson and, and everyone, and we had so much fun. Mm. And it was so nice because they could join me. Yeah. And uh, it was really, really fun. Yeah, totally. And you know, the older rides are not very accessible. Um, and they, they oftentimes have sort of jury-rigged a way to get uh, people in wheelchairs there. But oftentimes, you do have to transfer from your wheelchair into the ride. And there's a lot of people out there in wheelchairs for whom that is not uh, reasonable. But for, right. you know, the Disneyland Park has the new park next to it, California Adventure, and they are building their newer rides for wheelchairs to just roll right on, which that was something that I was really excited to see. So there's not that many rides that you can just roll on with your own wheelchair, but they are starting to build them that way because they are, um, you know, considering... Uh, accessibility much more now than they did when they built the original Disneyland park. I love that yeah. I, because there's a, only a few in Disney world that have the accessibility to roll into too. Yeah. And so oh, that's right. You're I in Florida. So you're by Disney world and I'm, you know, I'm on the West coast closer to Disneyland. I've never been to Disney world, but someday I, I will make it. Oh, please do. And make sure you have a whole week because you'll need it for every single park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Good time. Disneyland sidetrack. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, so what is the, what is the function of the progressive nature of this disease? You mentioned that you have nerves that were sort of free flowing and then they start to uh, bunch together, adhere together when this disease yes. process initiates. Does that process just continue more and more nerves getting sort of stuck in this adhesion? Is that is that the progressive functionality? Yeah, and it's uh, it ca has caused me severe neuropathy. Mm. For me, really bad 
from my knees down to my toes uh, burning. Oof. Um, yeah, the burning is awful. And I and I also have, um, I get tremors mm-hmm. in my legs. And I am on quite a bit of medication. Um, you know, it's, it, and you know, it is what it is. If it's not taking the medication, it's, you know, trying to get into the bathtub to calm things down or, you know, the ice or the heating pads, but it's, um, the neuropathy, I would say that and the burning is probably the worst of it. Mm. And, And I'm assuming also low back pain at the the location where these nerves are bunched. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's so interesting that the uh, the sort of downstream effect in your lower limbs is maybe even more intense. It sounds like that that burning sensation and the neuropathy in your legs. It sounds like everything knees and below. So so we're talking low back pain and then knees and below pain. And is this an all day, every day pain? Does it fluctuate in intensity? It fluctuates. Um, I have pain every single day, mm. but my flares are not as bad every single day. Okay. And a flare being like the the intensity of the pain turning up? Yes. Do you know what causes the flares? Is it just, you know, a nerve getting pinched, sitting in a certain position or doing certain activities that can cause a flare? Yeah. Okay. It can be, you know, I I was standing up too long. I definitely cannot stand it still in one spot for longer than five minutes. Hmm. That alone will throw me in a flare for the next day that'll last me all day. I don't know why. Um, it wasn't like that. And it wasn't like that for years. And now it's like I I can't do it. I have to sit down. Uh, doing the dishes is really something that I can't do yeah. anymore. Yeah, yes. dishes are hard. <laughs> dishes are people very don't hard. know that dishes are. Hard. I know, and and I, and doing dishes wasn't really a, a thing that I disliked doing, but I just cannot do it. Yeah, I have to take a break. Yeah. And, <laughs> You know, um, I can sit here like I'm sitting in bed right now because it's a little bit more comfortable for me. Um, but I don't mind sitting at my desk, but it's the hanging of my legs will bother me. Mm. Um, you know, I I move my positions all the time. Yeah. Trying yeah. to keep things from getting locked up in one position. Yes. Yeah. This all sounds remarkably frustrating to have to manage this, not just this amount of pain, but also you have to like develop this really intense relationship with your pain and your body to sort of know what position to be in, to not, you can't just relax. You can't just, you know, go to a concert and stand and watch something. Um, It sounds like you can't even just sit in one position for any period of time because things could could flare if you if you stay in one spot for too long so i mean even sitting in a wheelchair your legs are dangling in that in that position it sounds like having them straight out in front of you is is the most comfortable place to sit like you said sitting in a bed so uh, this sounds like so much to manage all day every day it sounds like a full-time job 
It is kind of, you know, I, I'll be sitting in my uh, wheelchair and I literally will stick my legs out <laughs> straight out. <laughs> I know people are wondering what I'm doing, but it's just like, I don't know. It just feels good. Yeah. And, <laughs> Gotta and, do it. <laughs> I love that. And I know from experience that you must get some weird looks from people because everyone sees someone in a wheelchair and assumes that they are paralyzed. There's a lot of wheelchair users that use wheelchairs for all sorts of reasons. You and I included in that. You know, I've had experiences where like I was at the grocery store and I couldn't reach something on a shelf, park my wheelchair, stand up to grab something because I, I can, you know, and being yes. scared of what people around me are going to do or say, because some people you know, feel like they've been lied to if someone in a wheelchair moves their legs, which is ridiculous. It has nothing to do with them. But those people will say, oh, you're scamming. And they'll, you know, like there's a fear of being attacked sometimes. Absolutely. And I have been attacked. I've, I've been attacked parking my car and putting up the sign and getting out of my car. And I had a woman come over to me and flat out tell me to move my car. Wow. And I said, excuse me. And, you know, we went back and forth a little bit. And I said, I really don't owe you an explanation. And she said, you're not handicapped. And I said, again, I, I don't owe you an explanation. When I was a little younger, I would get that more yeah. than i do now now i just get the looks mm. but you know my my fiance wanted to type me up a, a certificate that to hand out to people that said something on it something comical but you know it's it's really takes a lot of nerve for some of these people to come up and question you you know it's, it's so upsetting because if they could have one minute of feeling the pain that you feel, they'd completely understand what you're doing. They'd completely understand okay. why you need this wheelchair. And it's just so frustrating that not only do you have to shoulder the burden of the pain, but you also have to be mindful and aware of the way that society is going to mistreat you. It's just, you know, an added layer of of frustration on an already frustrating situation. It is. And I, and I've gotten back in the car and cried before mm. because it's like, you know, cause you just, it's upsetting. Yeah. It's upsetting. You know, you just don't want people to judge you. Yeah, totally. And it, you know, it's something you have to sort of build a thick skin to. And I'm, I'm in this position now where now that I've got a diagnosis and medication, I'm hardly using my wheelchair anymore and I'm really feeling the difference, you know, like the way that I can move through the world is much more invisible. You know, when you're in a wheelchair, you really feel that people are watching you and looking at you and judging you. And it's something that is very uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable and we shouldn't have to go through that. Yeah. Can I ask you what your diagnosis is? Yeah, I was just diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome which is sort of like a dysfunction of the white blood cells that deal with allergens. Essentially, I was being chemically poisoned by my own body all day, every day for years. And it caused oh, wow. a lot of functional issues. We think that it caused something called small fiber neuropathy, which can affect 
the function of your legs because the way that my legs were stopping working was actually pretty unusual for mast cell activation syndrome. So we think that there was a sort of downstream effect of essentially like chemical overload affecting the nerves in my legs and causing a lot of pain and dysfunction. But that's all getting a lot better now that I have a diagnosis and am on medication, which is, you know, something I'm still sort of adjusting to. The fact that that's even possible is incredible um, because there's so many, so many diseases where that's just not a, a possibility. I know. Well, that's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. You have a diagnosis. Is that, was it a long time that you're waiting for one? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, we, we believe I have the, uh, the form of this disease where I was just born with it. Because I've had issues going okay. back to second grade around, you know, mold, um, moldy environments. It used to be just like in and out of uh, mold is where I'd get sick. So we thought for a long time it was just a mold sensitivity. But it started happening all day, every day, and we couldn't figure out why. I had a really severe flare-up in my 20s that lasted a year. And then in my 30s, I had a six-year-long flare-up. And, you know, searching for a diagnosis, starting from scratch multiple times. Um, and it took me until I was 38 years old to get a diagnosis. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to hear that you have a diagnosis now, though. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm sure you are, because at least you can go forward now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Good. So, but I mean, your situation, getting a diagnosis is just the beginning of a long, hard journey. You know what you have, but it sounds like it's a little known disease for which there is only, there's no cure, there's only management. You just have to learn how to manage it. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. what it's like to have a disease that a lot of doctors haven't heard of. Are you educating your doctors all the time? I am. I am educating them. I actually take uh, books. Dr. Tennant writes some great books. So I've bought books off of Amazon, his books, and his protocol and I've given books to some of my doctors because I think that his protocol is the best protocol. Mm. And um, I have seen the community, the arachnoiditis community. I've seen a lot of them doing very well off of using his protocol. I have started to educate doctors and nurses and PAs that will accept taking it um, to, into reading it. Um, I uh, recently lost my pain management doctor. Unfortunately, I'm no longer with him, but I'm looking for a new pain management doctor. And I was on his protocol. So I'm hoping to now get on um, Dr. Tennant's protocol myself. Did you say Dr. Tennant was in California? Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, he is. And you're in Florida, so that's a real tricky thing. It's like there's this one doctor in the country who you really want to see. Uh, is it something where I you know. can like go visit him or, or how does that work? I could. Um, I know I, from what I understand, he has seen people off. He's not seeing actual patients. Hmm. Um, he will take the time to um, email and read x-rays for everyone. 
that um, believes that they have arachnoiditis, which is amazing. Um, he runs the Tenant Foundation, which is hope for arachnoiditis. So um, if you have or believe you have arachnoiditis, you can send him your films and he will read them and send you back a email. So he's been amazing. He does yeah. it with no charge or anything. So he's been really cool. But to get on his protocol, it sounds like you'd need to find a local pain doctor who's willing to prescribe his protocol. And I'm very curious, actually, what is the protocol? How do you, how do you manage this disease? His protocol is actually all online. What about the protocol you were doing with your original pain doctor? What was that like? It's just all medicine. Mm. So it's the medicine that I take. Um, I don't know if you want me to say what that medicine is, but... Yeah, I'm curious if you don't mind sharing. I don't mind sharing. Um, so I wear a 25 microgram fentanyl patch. Oh, wow. Uh, he's had me on that for quite some time. I do really well with that. It's the only uh, opioid that I take. Um, he does a breakthrough for me, which is tramadol. Mm. Um, I do not have to take that every day. And then I take meloxicam for inflammation. Yeah. I'm on Cymbalta. Cymbalta works for my depression, but it also works for my, um, neuropathy in my legs. Yeah. I'm familiar with all, I've taken a lot of these actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I came off of the Cymbalta just for a test about six months ago. I was off of it for three weeks and it was the worst experience of my life. Wow. I, could, I couldn't even have a sheet touch my legs. It, yeah. it was so painful. But I also have um, fibromyalgia. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. So, um, I believe Cymbalta is probably one of the best medications for neuropathy. I've never used any sort of patch. That's really interesting. The fentanyl patch. Um, I'm glad to hear that that's effective for you, but I, I imagine there's a lot of challenge in getting doctors to prescribe any opiates at all. There is and there isn't. I, so again, I was with the same doctor for 15 years. Yeah. So he put me on it and he prescribed it for me. So um, it's a very low dose. And um, I've been on the same dose for 10 plus years. It's just a managing dose. It just does what I need to keep my pain at bay. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I have um, a flare, the tramadol seems to work pretty good with that. But the Cymbalta really helps my my uh, neuropathy. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. I, it, it, that seems like, you know, the things like uh, duloxetine, Lyrica, gabapentin, a lot of medications that are used for nerve pain are really hit or miss with people. And if it's a hit, that's really great. That's so exciting that that's working for you. I'm really glad to hear Thank that. Thank you. What is the benefit of a patch versus a pill for fentanyl? Or I guess I've never taken fentanyl. I don't know if it's a pill or an injection normally. I don't know. <laughs> I actually do not know. I think there's a lollipop for fentanyl. Oh. Um, I, I don't know if that is only in the emergency room or not. Okay. As far as a patch, I put it on and then it 
goes in your system over uh, three days, so 72 hours, and then you change it. So um, it's just a constant delivery. Mm. It's very safe. And it's, you know, nothing like a, the street drug fence at all. I'm sure. All. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> what yeah. about, uh, is there physical therapy? Are there things that you do with your body to try to manage the pain? Yeah. So um, I do a lot of stretching. Um, I do a lot of uh Walking, I try to walk because one of Dr. Tennant's protocols is to walk and keep the fluid moving within your spinal cord. Um, he said it's really good for arachnoiditis. So I try to walk as much as I can. You know, some days that's just not possible. Yeah. Yoga is uh, something that I'll try now and then. I do like meditation. I'm active as much as I can be active to my own limitations. Some people are more active and some people can't be active at all with arachnoiditis. Yeah. It sounds like you've found a lot of comfort from joining online groups and finding more people with your disease online. I love it. I love the community. We're all so helpful together. Mm. So, yeah, I'm so grateful for finding everybody. Yeah, where where did you find them online? I started a while ago uh, looking for uh, groups on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, so I found uh, a few groups on Instagram. And then about four years ago, I decided, you know, maybe I'll make my own. Maybe I'll make my own group and see what happens. And it was actually Christmas Eve. And I thought, I'll just make a page. And I called it freespirit.warrior. Ever since, I've just grown a platform. And um, I, I, mean, I can't tell you how many people. I, I just love the people that I connect with on there. Everybody is so sweet. We all come together and talk and you know, kind of give guidance to each other. And, you know, it's, it's really sweet. I I have it on uh, on Facebook as well and on TikTok. And, you know, it's just a good community and we all get together and chit-chat and, you know, help each other and try to be positive with each other. Yeah, awesome. I love that. And how, how has this affected your relationships in your personal life, friends and family? I know growing up with my kids, it was hard for my kids to see me in bed a lot. You know, they wanted to do things that was hard for me mentally because I was in bed a lot when my kids were growing up for a while because I needed to get medically managed and I wasn't for a while. Um, so that was hard for me. I'm more medically managed now um, that they're older um, but my kids were amazing. They always helped me. And I have I have a really amazing family. So I couldn't ask for a better uh, man in my life. He's, uh, he's very attentive to what I go through. And, um, you know, I, I have great parents and great brother and sisters and laws and like everybody is 
uh, very supportive of what I go through. My friends and family, they, they're they super supportive. If I can't make it to an event, they never make me feel bad. They're always very understanding. I feel bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always feel bad. Yeah, that's always hard to have to like cancel things and reschedule things when you aren't feeling well. Yeah, but, but they're cool. Everybody's cool. I'm blessed that way. Mm. Well, I have one last question for you. So... You know, it sounds like you've learned a lot over the years and you've been through a lot over the years. And this is a scary diagnosis to get uh, because, you know, who knows what the future will bring. And it's something that you always kind of have to learn how to advocate for if other doctors don't know what it is. But you've learned a lot over the years. So if we could address someone, hopefully there's someone finding this podcast who's maybe just been diagnosed with this disease, who's feeling frightened, who doesn't know what to do next. Uh, what would your advice be on where to start to move forward and to learn how to integrate this into your life? My advice would be to to write me. <laughs> <laughs> I would say to to stay calm and um, you know it's it is scary um, at first to be diagnosed with this, but to um, I think I would start by reaching out to acmcrn.org. Um, they have a lot of information there. Um, and I would read a lot about what they have there. And then I would reach out to the Tenant Foundation and see what they have there. And then... Um, I'm also available if um, they would like to talk. I would love to talk to them. And you can find me at freespirit.warrior. And um, let's just talk because you're not alone. And um, we're, we were all in this position in the beginning. And, and we'll work through it together. And we'll find you the right way to move forward. Yeah, it sounds like the advice is, you know, connect with other people going through something similar. You're not alone. Yeah. It is scary, but you're not alone. And there are people who care and want to help you get through this. A hundred percent. Amazing. Yeah. Holly, thank you so much for an incredible conversation today. Um, you just mentioned your platform, freespirit.warrior, a couple of great resources. Is there anything else that you want to plug or direct our audience towards? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just you guys. You guys are awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, this was amazing. Yeah, this was so fun. I'll make sure to tag you on TikTok and Instagram on our platform when this podcast goes live. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much for teaching us about a new disease that I've never heard of before and I feel much more aware of now. And, you know, if someone tells me this is something they're going through, I'll have a frame of reference to be able to understand a little bit. And I think that's so powerful and really, really important. So. Holly, amazing job on the podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us. Thank you. It was great talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. 
Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncie, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Pain Podcast.